Hello, everyone. Welcome to Teaching Matters. This program is produced and recorded in the studios of WOUB Public Media or remotely in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. You know, um, from the time that I went to college, I had the idea that my academic advisor was the person that was going to help me. But really, I didn't really understand when I was an undergraduate, all the things that advisors could do. And I think that as higher education administrators, we have to think and continually reassess how it is that we think about the aspects of advising for students so that we can better meet the needs of the students that we have today. My guest today is going to be talking to us about that very concept is Dr. Jennifer Murphy, who is the Associate Vice Provost for the Ohio Guarantee Plus Program at Ohio University. Jen, thanks for being on. Thanks so much, Dean Titsworth. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. And I, I kind of want to start before we get into the Guarantee Plus, just by you and I having a discussion about, you know, this this concept of advising and how we think about the needs that students have. And so the first question I want to ask you is, you know, as I think about the time that I've been in higher education, both as a student and as a faculty member, it hasn't changed a whole lot in terms of, you know, the way that students interact with their teachers, with their advisors, with their institution. Do you think that the way that we've done higher education from the way that we support students in the past has to change moving forward? And if so, why? Yeah, that's a great question. I often think about my own experience in my undergraduate institution, which was at a, a big school, um, and my time in higher education, which has been about 18 years in um, administrative roles and now in leadership. And the landscape is changing anywhere from maybe even a three-year degree program to uh, three plus one programs to um, how we get a student um, into higher education and then successfully graduate them on time. I think that is, um, as administrators, we're thinking about students having an experience instead of just getting them in and out. And they are way more than a number, especially at Ohio University. What I love about this institution is that we care deeply about each of the students and that we don't take that cookie cutter approach. And I think if you couple that concept with the changing generational demands that we're seeing, higher education has to shift their focus and what we're what we're doing. And I think Ohio is is on the forefront of that and a cutting edge into how we're thinking or reconceptualizing the student experience here. It it seems to me, in hearing what you just said, that there's at least two things that I can think of that are changing quite dramatically outside of higher education that is forcing us to adapt. One is the generational change, which you just mentioned, and I would love for you to elaborate more on what you think that is. But I also think that the career landscape has changed significantly that also is impacting this. Do you want to talk about either one of those? It's almost impossible not to talk about the world of work when we talk about the student experience, because it's I firmly believe that not every major equals a career within that major. I mean, there are some, of course, like education and even accounting um, that you definitely need to have that that type of major. But now we're seeing from employers that the landscape is changing even in the world of work as well. And they're looking for students that are trainable and, and that have those, and I hate to say soft skills because I think that is kind of a worn down term now, but um, you know, self-awareness. How do you teach self-awareness? How do you teach someone to critically think about a problem and to be problem solvers? Employers are looking more at that as the industry booms in automation, AI, um, ed tech, med tech, healthcare. We're seeing a lot of different um, industries popping up and functions popping up within the industry. And so having a student be nimble and agile as they um, learn, the curriculum is one component of it and a very important part. But the other part is how are the students gaining 
the skill sets that are necessary to be trained. Um, and I think that's really what employers are looking for is the student that can be flexible, operate in the gray. And this generation, I think, can do it. It's They've been raised in the Internet world and the social media world. It's all they know. And so they're entering the workforce ready to be problem solvers. And I can see that. I can already see that uh, the students that we're working with are very different than the millennials ahead of them. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great way of encapsulating it. This is a bit beyond the scope of what it is that we're discussing, but since we're more on the philosophical plane of this right now, I want to I still want to probe this question. Do you think that there is a tension? Maybe this is a bad way to ask it, but do you think there is a tension between trying to train students for career after college while at the same time teaching them those essential or as others would say soft skills that lets them be adaptable. In other words, you know, I I think that there is a false binary between trying to train a student for a specific career and then train them to be adaptable. This sounds like two different things, but what I hear you saying is that it's not. Can you expand on that? I think that uh, this is a great question and I uh, I'll try my best to answer it from my perspective. I think that if institutions don't shift their focus on what they're offering to be more interdisciplinary. I think that's where you can bridge that gap that you're talking about or the dichotomy that you just mentioned. I think that we there are going to be some areas where you do have that, okay, we definitely need this type of, of a major and this type of a program from a student, but we also need the student to have all these other things. Mm-hmm. So then how do we have more of an interdisciplinary approach as an institution to really train them both curricularly and then co-curricularly through experiential learning. I think that's where the yeah, you can really hit the some of that self-awareness piece, some of the understanding and the reflection pieces that come with experiential learning. Mm-hmm. That could be that that bridge there that we were talking about with that dichotomy. Yeah, and I, and I think this will probably become even more clear for the listeners as we start to talk about the Guarantee Plus program, which is a great transition to talking about the Guarantee Plus program. So do you want to sort of give a broad overview of what the tenets of Guarantee Plus are um, sure. for, the, yeah. for the listeners? Yeah. So the Ohio Guarantee Plus is a uh, the vision of the provost for Ohio University that um, she uh, put out a few years ago. And I've uh, had the opportunity to work with her for two years to really build this out. The three areas are fixed tuition and fees, and that's always been part of the Ohio Guarantee. But the plus is really the addition of adding graduation plans, which I'm I'm in charge of, and I can talk to more depth about that, but then also having alumni benefits like like scholarships and reduced tuition for coming back to school for for additional programming that they might be interested in. But the Ohio Guarantee Plus as a whole is really a new student success initiative for our institutions. So where students will co-create these graduation plans with their advisor their first semester uh, on campus and then have intentional touch points every semester after that through academic advising, career coaching, and experiential learning. And a very high level, that's the concept, but it's uh, more of a guided pathway um, approach based off of empirical research that um, a student needs to combine all three of those components to really persist towards graduation. Yeah, let's let's talk. Let's focus in on the the the, the graduation guarantee initially. I mean, you and I have been, you know, advisors to students for quite a while. What mm-hmm. what do you think are some of the barriers that typically will prevent students from graduating? on time. And, and yeah. I know that that can mean different things, the on time part, but for a typical undergraduate student that is a full-time student, what, what are some of the barriers that might prevent an on-time graduation? 
Oh, geez, that's a great question. It truly is going to depend on the student, but it could be anything from what if a class isn't offered a certain semester and they need that class to graduate? That's a very simple way to say that. Or what if they took a semester off and um, didn't have the right resources or connection points to come back to campus or or the financial resources to come back to campus? Um, it could be anything ranging between that. And of course, if there's any sort of, I hate to call it poor advising, because I don't believe that there is poor advising at our institution, but something could be overlooked. Something could have slipped through the cracks and anything where a student feels like they can't jump back in, um, that would be a reason why they may not graduate on time for just a, like a one class they need to graduate. And that just puts them now at like four years in a, in a summer or four years in a semester. And we really don't want the student to have to pay for additional semester when we can really just advise them and make sure that everything is on track and on plan. And that's what the graduation plans are designed to do. And if I'm so, if I'm a first year student coming into uh, the Scripps College or any other program at Ohio University, and, and I'm meeting with Dr. Jen Murphy, and she's going to help me develop a four year graduation plan, what does that involve? Is it just a matter of picking out classes that I'm going to take in a given semester, looking out four years, or, or what else would that involve? Yeah, that's a great question. And Scripps does this really well. Um, you all have always had four-year curriculum plans. We all already know how a student will persist through, a, let's say, journalism. Uh, we know how that will work. Curricularly, the, the graduation plan will line that up just like you always have had. But additionally, it, it overlays the um, additional important things that a student should consider with their career. Maybe they need to build a resume or a portfolio, or maybe they need to connect with a faculty mentor, or maybe they need to have a leadership position, and they don't know when and where and how to do that. We have folks that design experiences for them, maybe their sophomore, junior year, maybe they want to go do an internship in D.C. Um, or in San Francisco, and we'll help them figure out what that looks like if it makes sense to their goals and what they want to do. Additionally, on top of that, it's um, the career components as well, not just experiential, but then how do you segue that or, or parlay that into a full-time opportunity, whether that's a job, grad school, or Teach for America, or whatever the student is thinking. It's really customized. I think that's why I like these plans so much. It's We have the curricular components. Now, how do we make it just really specialized for the students so that they feel truly supported and unique in the experience? So um, I, I want to come back and delve into that part of it more. But before I do that, you, you know me, so you know that I'm a, an extremely unmotivated person. I'm a student <laughs> that doesn't know what I want to do when I grow up. And so mm -hmm. I with you during that advising appointment and you say, hey, let's start planning this stuff out. And I'm like, I just want to play video games in my dorm room. So how, how does the Guarantee Plus program adapt to students who really don't have that vision necessarily yet of where they want to end up in four years? Well, first of all, I might make the appointment over a Mario Kart game if we were talking about playing video <laughs> games, but um, sure. Yeah, we can we can play video games later, but I, those are the my favorite students, mainly because I was one of those students. I changed my major four times my undergraduate, and I would say the reason why is because I didn't have anybody paying attention. So the ones who were like, I have no idea what I want to do. I love those students because the conversations that unfold, the, we will ask the right questions like, okay, tell me what you did in high school. Where were you good? What did you love to do? Tell me what you, you do in your in your spare time. What are the things that, um, you, if you like video games, do you want to consider having a, a job in gaming? Because that actually is a thing. So it's understanding at where their passion may lie or as it evolves. Um, but 
touching base with that student then a couple more times a semester to see how things are progressing and then having them try something out, having them talk to faculty that can speak to the gaming industry, which we have. So having an understanding about, okay, it sounds like you like video games. I will school you in Mario Kart, but then we're going to talk about how you can really take this and, and talk to the folks on campus that can give you more information, not just your advisor, but it truly might take a village to get the undecided student decided. And, and so I think that listeners that are particularly of, of like my generation would have mm-hmm. heard you talking about the four-year course rotation and graduation plan for classes and not be all that surprised by that. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's something that a smart student, even when I was an undergraduate, maybe could figure out if they had the right information. What might surprise them, though, is that what you were just talking about sounds like something that isn't or hasn't been a part of traditional advising appointments. So. Um, maybe you, you could talk a little bit about the fact that advisors that you're working with and training now is really, I mean, I think they're really thinking more about the whole student, not just the classes that they have to take to meet formal graduation requirements. Is that correct? That's that's exactly right. And you have a really great advising team there, both faculty and professional staff that do a really good job at this. Advising is more than just class scheduling. And I would argue that I'm of the same generation as you, Dean Titsworth. But um, when I went through my program, it wasn't about here's a four-year plan. Let's go ahead and do it this way. It was what classes do you want to take? And I kind of had to navigate that on my own. But again, that was a a larger school. Um, I, I think that for this, it's worth thinking about the holistic student and advisors do way more than just class scheduling or lifting holds. Advisors are sitting with a student, helping them get unstuck to the one who was undecided from earlier, or they help a student understand exploration. Let's say a student can't understand the difference between marketing or advertising. And so helping a student understand what that looks like and that they can have a major and a minor in that or have some kind of a combination it's a career exploration, it's a major exploration, and then it's how do we design an experience that really helps you get your your feet wet in this industry to really help you decide, or do you get a sales certificate? Other things where a student may not even be considering, it's providing options and opportunities for experiential components for them to really hone in on what they wanna do. I would say even if a student is identified as a, um, a certain type of major, I don't know that they know what they want to do with that major. There can be a lot of really cool things they can do with it, but maybe they don't know what they can do with an advice, uh, advertising major. Mm-hmm. So helping them understand it by way of alumni panels, talking to alum in the industry, um, having them targeted on which geographic location, that's also a part of the advising. I'm, I promise I'm bringing it back to the advising, but it's, it's directing them down a path into the right resources, the right people, depending on where they are on their journey through four years. I know from um, talking with the advisors in my college and, and hearing you talk several times, you, you keep coming back to this word experience, which I know you and I and, and the provost feel very um, passionate about in terms of students. Um, what's really interesting to me is that um, when, when I talk with the advisors and hear you talk and, and then try to unpack what that term experience means in this context, it's not just telling the student to go to a particular student organization and start, you know, join, join that club, but it's about the reflection on how that advances them towards a goal. Have, have you had these conversations with students yet? I mean, I know this program is really new, but that translation to me is something that's really novel that I, I don't recall ever happening, you know, in my background, except maybe very informally with a few mentors. 
Uh, totally. And so the, the concept of experiential learning can range anywhere from an internship to community engagement to leadership. It can be anything from like re- major research projects, case competitions, capstone projects. I mean, I could go on and on. Oh, st- study away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, I, again, I think the advisor can can have that opportunity to say, you know, there's an opportunity for you to be involved in a case competition where you can talk more about your strategy and be a part of that. If you want to go into consulting, this is a great way to showcase that. That really, this is a new, and I'm going to say a sexy thing that higher education is seeing with an experiential learning. And Ohio is one of the first institutions that bringing it and embedding it, not only in the general curriculum, as you know, BRICS is, is changed and experiential learning is in the curriculum, which is amazing. Um, but it's more than just curricular. It's what's happening outside the classroom. What are they doing for the community, for the Athens community? What are they doing to give back, to become good citizens? And that piece is a very big culture shift, which we're trying to do with this program, but a really important one for our students to stand apart against their competition once they get out there. Yeah. And, and the part that, that I really appreciate um, is that if I, if I was a student engaged in, I mean, let me just say like our LA program where they, yeah. where I, I would do an internship, you know, at one of the studios in LA. And then I came back to Athens and was talking to my advisor. I, I really feel like that conversation shifts where the advisor is helping me unpack how I'm going to talk about that internship in my professional portfolio. And, or, or maybe it's maybe a different, um, even more user-friendly example is that I, I take a class where I'm doing a community-based project, and later I talk with my advisor about how to frame that project on my portfolio in a way that's compelling for landing an internship or something like that. And I really appreciate that because I feel like even those of us that, that were doing experiential learning before that was a buzzword that was a dot that wasn't connected all that well. Like we sort of did them and then the students went off and and did with them what they would put them on their resume, but really helping the students frame that, um, that that's so important. And that's the part where I feel like when I, I, I get so excited when I talk with our success advisors, because that's the type of conversation that I think really helps our students seem much more mature and job ready than if we didn't have that conversation with them. Yeah. And, and let me take it a step further there, too. I think the success advisors that we have now on, on campus is to really build that relationship for all eight semesters that the student is here and can identify and help them through their career. But additionally, our team now has uh, a group for experiential learning that are called experienced designers and can help them do just what you said understand what the internship is like, having a preflection, having a reflection, um, so they can truly get the benefits of experiential learning so they understand how to talk about it and put it on their portfolio or resume or LinkedIn or wherever it needs to go. But then we also have an, an entire team uh, with a career achievement network and their career coaches, and they can help students talk about those experiences from a mock interview perspective and have them get ready to explain why that experience directly relates to any kind of job they want in that industry. So that's the hope. And so the success advisor is a great foundation to that career component of the exploration and high level. Don't forget the experienced designers, the career achievement network, career coaches, but then also the faculty who are in industry. Scott, you have some of, sorry, Dean Tinsworth, you have some of the best faculty in your college who are passionate about students and they want to talk about it. They want to talk about the industry, the field, and they have connections with their alum and all that. So we can't underestimate the faculty being so critical in this process too. So when, when you were talking about that, um, some listeners might hear that and go, well, that's just a career services center like 
I had on my mm-hmm. campus. How do you view what you're doing as different than, and I don't want to disparage career service centers. They're awesome and mm-hmm. do such great work, but, but I think you've intentionally tried to think about it in a, in a much more holistic way than maybe just, a, so can you talk about sort of how you see that distinction? Yeah. And I love that you just said career centers. And I've been um, in higher education. I've mainly worked in career offices at many institutions. So this is sort of my my passion area. But we specifically are calling it the career achievement network and not a center or an office, because that seems like an outdated word, in my opinion, in my, my view, perspective on this. When you think about careers, you're thinking about it as a network or like a hub of connectivity. If you if the listeners are, are sitting here listening, if I were to ask how many of you have ever found a job through somebody that you know, I ask this question in, in classes all the time, and it's usually 90% raise their hand. It's not about scouring the internet, finding an opportunity and applying. That's like how you how 2% of people find their jobs. We all know that the energy and time that you put into um, your network in your industry that's more advantageous of your time and the way that you can maximize it, but more intentional and strategic. So our office isn't a career center. Yes, we can do resumes and LinkedIn profiles and mock interviews. That's just par for the course. So can success advisors, by the way. How we're looking at this is more, okay, give me your three top geographic locations. Let's identify the companies and the alum within those areas. And let's be thoughtful about how we are reaching out to them, how we are connecting to them. Are they coming to campus? Do we need to get you out there? So it's more of this intentionality behind a student's path to a career instead of just go looking at a database and finding it. We want to be more intentional and thoughtful about their career and how they're going to get there. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but I'll even go a step further and say, you know, I think that that career service centers on most campuses stand up an infrastructure with the assumption that when a student comes in, they sort of have a, a ready-made, very effective template to give the student. Whereas mm-hmm. what you just talked about was saying, no, we're going to put the student at the center of what it is mm-hmm. that we're doing and then figure out how we bring tailored resources to that student to help them. I think those are two completely different philosophies. And yeah, of course, and- of course, one having the student at the center is, is really appealing, you know, for a parent and for somebody that really cares about student success, like both you and I are. Right. We, we are quite passionate about it. I'll go, I'll go a step further and say, you know, we have those resume templates. We have the words, the action verbs they should be using. We've got everything because we don't want it to, we don't want barriers. We don't want someone to say, I have no idea how to write a cover letter. We have the resources for that. We have the resources to get them and it's all online. Like they can have access to it whenever they want. I don't think I wanna spend 30 minutes working on a resume. I wanna tweak the resume, make sure that it's targeted to that industry, making sure that it's perfect. That's easy to do, but I want the student to have ownership in their own career education, which I think can happen early on. And that's the other shift here. Career education can happen in learning communities in their first and second year so they understand how to write a resume, how to write a cover letter and get their LinkedIn ready. But by the time they're going to industry, they're maybe their junior, senior year, they should really be more intentional and strategic about where and what they're doing. Other career centers that I've worked at or have seen and what I'm looking up there, they're still in the tactical, the career document mode. And that's just a like one component in my mind. I want the student in the center, like you just said, and I want alumni. Our alumni, in my mind, are the best. They have such an affinity to this place, and I get it. I want student and alumni connections, and that's that's really where I'm, I'm focusing my effort with the career piece. 
Since you've taken on this role, you've had to um, go through a, a staffing hire, you know, to be able to um, fully um, prepare the colleges around the university to have adequate staff to be able to enact this type of advising. Um, when you train your new advisors or when you intake them and orient them to their new role, what's the most important message that you want them to walk out of that training with? Relationship building. Easy. It, it, we've onboarded our team at the advisor level, experiential learning level, and the career level. And at the end of the day, the relationships that they make with students is the most important, the ones they make with other stakeholders, faculty, department chairs, deans, but the employers and alumni too. It, it's all of it. It's, it's not just one stakeholder. It's all of it. And if we can be relationship builders and have a sense of caring and not a sense of um, just come in, let me see your resume and goodbye. We're, we're not we're not, like I said, a cookie cutter approach here. I don't want that kind of like that cog in a wheel. We want the student to feel connected. We want the student to feel supported. We want them to understand and feel ready for what's next and for them to be, I have a path and a direction. So it is more directive, but it's relationship building at its core. Yeah, I agree. I So I want to, I want to shift and talk about um, the student again. And you and I have had this conversation, I think probably 10 times in the last three months. Um, so, you know, you and I, when we went through our undergraduate programs and, and probably even our, our graduate programs for that matter, we had a primary advisor and you knew that if you had a problem that ranged from financial aid to, you know, having a problem with a class that that advisor was your primary point of contact for most things. And then they would branch you out to other people if necessary. What you've just described um, involves a lot of additional people that would be working potentially with a student in some sort of an advising or mentoring role. And then layered on top of that, in addition to your program, we also have at Ohio University honors programs that have advisors associated with them. We have academic, um, we have faculty advisors inside their major. And so to me, we've done a much better job through your leadership and other programs at Ohio University of giving various angles of support to a student, which is great. At the same time, the student is sort of in this, this sphere sphere, like a, you know, geometric shape, looking around and going, I've got all of these people that want to help me. So who do I actually talk to? How, how do we make sense of that for students? Do you think? I think that's a great question. And I, when I first shared the vision with you, Dean Titsworth, you were, you could conceptualize the, the image, right? That if I were to go in on a road show and explain it, you see the student in the middle and all of these support systems around them. And I'm still waiting for some, somebody wonderful from Scripps to build that out for me. Um, but so I can see that too. And I'll be honest, like we are in, we are in a building mode right now. So I don't have all those answers, but ideally in the student's student center, they will have their success advisor, their faculty mentor, and any other person that they need to contact. So an experience designer and a career achievement network uh, career coach, those folks should be listed there. And it's on our website, but they're really focused by industry. So it gives the student a little bit of choice on the, on the career side about who to go to. But for their advising, they do and they will have, and we're in the process of making sure that in their student center, their advisor and their faculty mentor are listed. Eventually, we do want to have it on their DARS, their audit report, to make sure they graduate. Um, and so that's how that, that student would find it. Also, our website, we're doing the best that we can to show how a student might progress through 
every single year. But yeah, you're right. There is a lot of movement happening. We certainly don't want the, the student to feel overwhelmed. Um, <coughs> yeah. I mean, and and you, you know, I've told you this. It's not, I've never raised that, you know, as a criticism. I think it's just really fascinating. You know, I think yeah. an example of an education system, you know, at Ohio University, but I'm sure that there's similar manifestations of this issue at other places where we've done a better job of putting support people around students, but mm -hmm. we haven't caught up with how we explain that to the student in a way yet because it is more complex. And so one of the things that I was thinking about um, as I was getting ready for our discussion today is there's a lot of really interesting literature about patient-centered care in the medical field that mm -hmm. I think might be something you know for all of us to look at because they've had to go through the same issue with um, interdisciplinary specialties, especially like in cancer care and end-of-life care and and you know situations like that where medically they have to bring so many people together around a patient to support them. Um, I think that's an interesting analogy here. Visually, since the last time I talked with you, I think I'm starting to think about it as literally being a sphere more than like concentric circles, which is what I, you know, I think you and I have talked about before. So know that I'm on it. I'm still thinking about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think there's a larger message for you know all the listeners of, of, of this podcast and of other educators that you know just the fact that you find ways to give more resources to support students doesn't necessarily mean the students understand how to engage that ecosystem of support mm -hmm. um, because you know more can actually be debilitating in some ways um, if, if, if you don't help them make sense of how to use it well and and so i think that's something that all of us in education as we try to adapt our systems to the students more need to keep in mind that at the end of the day, we have, you know, pre-K to um, 12 students that are trying to figure it out. We have young adults in the college situations trying to figure it out, and we don't want them to be overwhelmed. And I don't think that's happening, but I just think it's an interesting problem for us to solve um, moving forward. Yeah. Let me go back to that that sphere comment, too. When I first was designing the vision, uh, taking the Provost Sayers vision of Guarantee Plus, but then adding the infrastructure on top of that, the vision in my head was like a three was um, like a Venn diagram, three, three circles of a Venn diagram with a student in the middle, with the circles being advising experiential learning and then career. Um, but really, I think there's like a, a fourth dimension, and it's the transference of knowledge. One thing that I think that institutions, and I'm going to bring this out to higher ed, I think that we run into is the communication to the student and to stakeholders. And so how do we have seamless communication to students, to people, and like how to do what and where to find it and how do you navigate that? There's a lot of, of, of um, nerves that come up when a student is getting ready to go to, to school, to college. And I think helping them understand uh, the resources and how they do that, that fourth dimension, that sphere that we're kind of running around here, it's, it's that it is that communication transference of knowledge to the student. And I think that's really where I'm, that's where I am right now. How do I provide, I love that patient centered care. How do I provide and respect the individual preferences and values and needs of a student, just like someone would a patient. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really like that that parallel that you've made there, but I'm still trying to wrap my head around how do we shift our communication and get, every, by the way, get all the buy-in from every single person on campus too, which is, as you know, very difficult to do. Mm -hmm. 
So the, the last question I wanted to ask, I, I know that one of the tenets of um, the Guarantee Plus program is this concept of lifelong learning. Um, and you've already mentioned the Bobcat Success Network, um, maybe indirectly, but you certainly alluded to it a little bit earlier. Do you want to talk about how you know your vision for the alumni part of all this fits together, both as supports for current students, but then also how we continue to support our alumni? Yeah, I think about alumni a lot, more than I should. I think maybe not. I don't know. I think about them a lot because I think maybe they're underutilized. And I mean that in the best possible way. I don't think it's anyone's fault. I think that we could just use them more intentional. And I keep saying the word intentional in this podcast, and I don't want that to be a throwaway word. But I really think that if we can focus on industry and focus on um I'll tell you a story. When I got here in 2015, I worked in the College of Business. And within the first two weeks, I had a lot of phone calls from alumni saying, what can I do? What can I do? How can I help? And my answer was, just hire. Hire a Bobcat. It doesn't even have to be a business Bobcat. Hire a Bobcat. Hire them as an intern so that we can parlay that into a full-time offer. We want that to convert. Um, so that was my first thing. And then it actually worked. And so using alumni, the Bobcat Network is a fantastic tool for alumni to connect to students. Like, and I highly recommend every student needs to get in there and understand who the alumni are, just like every alumni to get in there and do the same thing. Bobcat Network is fantastic. And I think that if I, we think about where our alumni are all across the world, they're, that's just, they're everywhere. How can we get the student to focus in on the, the geographic locations? And then how do we get those? I think there's like little hubs, right? We can, we can build out a strategic plan for each geographic area. And I'm working with the Ohio University Alumni Association to see how we can work, our two teams can work together to have alumni really engaged. I, honestly, the vision that I have here is that I don't want any of our team doing resume workshops or interview workshops. Alumni from industry should be doing it. I could say until I'm blue in the face, you really should network. But if an alumni says it from some really fancy job or employer, they're going to listen to the alum. And that is perfectly fine. I just want it to happen. I want those connections to happen. And so I'm thinking now about how can we create these pods of mentorship? How can we create these pods of alumni and industry connected to our juniors and seniors who are getting ready to launch into the workforce? That's where I think the rubber can hit the road and where I, I can't wait to collaborate more on that effort. Yeah. And just to you know expand just a little bit on that um, for listeners, I mean, you know, every university has has pockets of alumni in metropolitan areas. And so that's not unique to Ohio University. But like what we found in, in the Scripps College, when we tried to make our alumni connections in Washington, D.C. and L.A., the, the Hollywood area, more formalized, we, we found exactly what Dr. Murphy is talking about in the sense that the alumni in those areas not only started hiring our students as interns, and keep in mind that we're taking groups of students each semester to those, to those metropolitan areas, they're hiring our students for internships or helping them find internships at other um, appropriate venues, um, hiring them for jobs once they graduate. But then also when the students are back in Athens, those same alumni, um, you know, that, that in both of those locations now number well over 100, you know, will, will um, zoom into classes. They will even in some cases come back to Athens. And so the, the point that you're making, um, Jen, is that if you do this right, it's more than just having groups of alumni that's on a database, you know, in a location. It's, it's, engagement that is becoming almost like part of the academic operation. And it's tremendously exciting when that works and the dividends are, are significant. 
I agree. I think about that all the time and we have a, we can really build that out. I know that we have a team of folks who are doing that and are excited to work with our team to make that happen even further. So I'm, I'm really excited about that collaboration and strategy moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, um, and I really hope that at some point you will actually call me Scott, but having said that, <laughs> um, Dr. Murphy, thank you so much for your time today and talking about the Ohio Guarantee Plus program. And let me just say that um, I'm, I'm thankful every time I hear you talk about this because I know that we have you know, a dedicated leader on campus that cares about every one of our students' success as they go through our programs. And um, you're just doing such a great job in enacting that vision. Thank you. And thank you, Scott, and you can call me Jen, um, for uh, for the opportunity to really hear the passion and energy that I have behind it. And you're not wrong. I've devoted my life to this industry and I now get to be in a place where I can hopefully affect some change and, and in a positive way. I'm, I'm really excited about this project. So thanks for the space for letting me talk about it. Absolutely. And best of luck as you move forward on that. And thank you all for listening to Teaching Matters. Remember that it's produced by WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. You can always listen at woub.org slash listen. We're also obviously available through most popular, if not all popular, podcasting apps like Google Play, iTunes, and of course, NPR One. You can contact the staff of the podcast with ideas, questions, or comments through our Facebook page. Just search for Teaching Matters Podcast on Facebook and send us a message. Our audio engineer and associate producer is Adam Rich. I'm Scott Titsworth. Have a great day.